0: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save.
2: You're listening to Rob McConnell in the X-Zone on the Talk Star Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzoneradio.com. one 877 is toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is on the shores of Lake Ontario between the cities of Toronto and Niagara Falls, smack dab in the middle of the Great Lakes Triangle. Our toll-free number, once again, is one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five. My email address is xzone at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and www.xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is Andruffle. And uh, we're going to be talking about UFOs. Our first guest uh, tonight was Stanton Friedman, the father of modern day ufology. And uh, we're we're working our way up to the second, third, and fourth of July, which are the Roswell uh, anniversary dates. After all, the crash of the UFO in Roswell occurred on July the fourth, nineteen forty-seven. So, Anne is also involved in ufology. She began investigating UFO reports in Southern California in uh, about April 1957 with the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, known as NICAP, which was directed by the UFO research pioneer, Major Donald E. Kehoe, who was uh, formerly of the United States Marine Corps, and became acquainted with Dr. James E. MacDonald through his Contacts with the Los Angeles NICAP subcommittee from 1966 to 1971 following the NICAP's demise in 1970. and joined the Mutual UFO Network and then the newly formed Center for UFO Studies. Now, Anne has researched. Now, listen to this, ExoNation. She has researched over 2,000 Los Angeles basin reports, including alleged landings, UFO photo cases, close encounters with physical effects on witnesses and terrain, alleged abduction reports, and other UFO-related phenomena. She is a prolific writer. She has contributed over 180 articles on various aspects of the UFO subject to numerous UFO journals and international publications. Frequently speaking on UFOs before civic and educational groups, Ann Druffel is noted for her lively slide presentations and Q&A sessions and has presented many papers at UFO symposia, conferences, and gatherings. Since 1965, she has been a spokesperson on various aspects of UFOs for TV, radio, and press, as well as consultant, researcher, film writer on numerous UFO documentaries. She wrote the classic book, Junga Canyon Contacts with parapsychologist D. Scott Rogo and contributed to the other major literary works such as Ron's story UFO Encyclopedia and Rongo's anthology UFO Abductions. Her most recent UFO related book is How to Defend Yourself Against Alien Abductions, published by Three Rivers Press and Random House in August 1998. Her most recent book is Firestorm. Dr. James E. McDonald's fight for the UFO science, which was published by Wildflower Press in July of 2003. When I come back from this two-minute commercial break, and Ruffle is going to be joining me, and we're going to be discussing how to properly investigate UFO reports. After all, she has researched over 2,000 Los Angeles Basin reports. This lady knows what she's talking about, her credibility, is one of expert and she has an excellent reputation when it comes to the UFO community. Andruffle is my special guest. Her website is
4: andruffle.com.
2: We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes. As we-, we
4: all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend,
5: this is us saying thank you.
0: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. We continue right here on-
2: Woke up this morning with light in my eyes And then realized it was still dark outside It was a light coming down from the sky I don't know who or why must be those strangers that come every night, those sauce who shaped life, put people uptight. Welcome back, everyone. Andruffel is our very special guest. Her website is com. And Anne, welcome back to the X Zone. How are you, my dear, and how are things in beautiful California tonight? Oh,
3: they're, they're really nice, nice and sunny, beautiful.
2: <laughs> and you've investigated or researched over 2,000 uh, UFO-related events in your career as a ufologist. Uh, how did you get involved in ufology? What was the event that that christened you into this quest that you've been on for so many years?
3: Well, I've described this several times, uh, but uh, it was something that I saw in 1945 when I was a schoolgirl mm-hmm. from Long Beach, California. Uh, at the time, the World War II was still going on in Japan, and uh, we, uh, I, um, I was coming home in the bus, and I saw this thing in the northeast sky, it, uh, I had been interested in, in astronomy since the age of nine, and I, I was very, very puzzled about it, this thing. It was a cohesive uh, yellow-white light in broad daylight in the sky, uh, two to three times the size of a daytime Venus, but cohesive and very, very bright and definite. And I, I watched this thing. I, I walked home. You know, I watched it a, an hour and a half. Wow. slowly from the north-northeast to the north-northwest. I couldn't figure out what it was. It was very, very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother saw it with me. She, she didn't know what it was. Um, uh, the, um, I, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And then about an hour and a half uh, after I had been watching the thing, move very, very slowly. Uh, it gave out uh, what, what I call parts of itself, which took varying paths away from the main object. And there were 15 or 20 of these uh, tiny little things that sparkled in the sunshine, you know, uh, in the West. Mm-hmm. By that time, it was 4.30, 5 o'clock, around that time. And um, uh, it uh, this was in uh, a, a late June or July of 1945, uh, before, you know, before the war ended. And I... Uh, uh, when the thing uh, gave off these little particles, I tried to get my mother back uh, to to see the these things coming out of the, the main object with me because it was so so awesome and frightening. It was frightening to watch this thing, and uh, my mother wouldn't come out. She was cooking dinner, you know, <laughs> more important, and uh, so uh, I I couldn't go out again to watch uh, to watch the thing anymore because it was just so frightening. And so awesome. And then about two uh, two weeks later, the first uh, the first um, uh, the bomb was uh, uh, you know uh, exploded over Hiroshima. And uh, uh, so uh, years later, uh, I figured I figured that the thing I saw uh, was at about the same time the first experimental atom bomb had been exploded, uh, you know, in, in New Mexico. Uh, and frenchman's flat, but we didn't know about that you see Right. Uh, but about the same time and i developed this hypothesis that perhaps this thing was a what you call a carrier craft with many little uh, scout ships or surveillance the smaller ships uh, come to uh, see what was happening on the earth because we had entered the atomic age
2: and during your your research that you've done over the years was there an increase in UFO activity at the time of the uh, bombings uh, in Japan of, uh, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki?
3: We well, see, we didn't know anything about flying saucers. Uh, we didn't even know about the things that, that were being seen uh, in, in the European theater or, or in the, uh, the Japanese theater. Uh, you know, what they called... Uh, Foo Fighters. Um, uh, uh, Foo Fighters. Right. And other names they gave. Uh, they did not have, not have the detail that that later the the UFOs took on you know uh, physical details of, of uh, uh, apparently a craft. Mm-hmm. These were just most of these were just uh, 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 lights that, that traveled around the military planes and things. So we didn't know anything about that. They kept that from the public, and the the stuff about the uh, fighters came out much later. <laughs> so apparent, it it might have been that this thing might have been a collection of of what you call foo fighters, you know, which had mm-hmm. come from the European theater, which had closed down because we had found peace there, and was moving, you know, over and uh, to where the atomic bomb had been exploded, uh, that the public didn't know about, um, the first experimental public bomb, uh, atomic bomb.
2: Did you have any idea? the day that you watched this this UFO when you were a little girl that what you were watching was going to have such an impact on your life
3: no no I had I had no idea Uh, when uh, when the thing when the information about the uh, bombing of Hiroshima came out in the papers about two weeks later Mm -hmm. I tried to understand it it was on the first page and I couldn't understand all the technicality you know that was involved in atomic bombs, uh, but um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot to.
2: No, I, I was just I, I was just asking that, you know. Here you are, a little girl. You're you're watching this object in the sky for, you know, for over an hour. Your mother sees it. Uh, it, it, you know, you said it frightened you. Yes. A- and, and I was just wonder. I I, w- I had asked you if you thought at that time, that what you were looking at would play such a part in your life?
3: Uh, I had no idea at the time, but uh, when we read about the explosion Mm -hmm. uh, of the uh, atom bomb over Hiroshima, um, uh, the same kind of fright, fright, fear, and Mm -hmm. awe struck me, you see, while reading about the, the atom bomb, that I had felt while watching this thing in the sky, and I couldn't understand that, you see. They were both great mysteries. I didn't know if they were connected or not, of course. But then uh, when Kehoe, uh, Major Kehoe, began to write his books and uh, formed NICAP, or it took the directorship of NICAP, uh, by that time uh, I was, you know, I, I was uh, uh, working and... Um, I, uh, I joined, I, I started reading his books first in 1950, you see, and uh, by the time he became director of NICAP in 1957, I joined right up, you know, one of the first members that, uh, that joined him.
2: What kind of training did you get with NICAP uh, to, uh, when it came to investigating or researching UFO and UFO-related phenomena?
3: Well, you see, uh, I I didn't have uh, any training directly from NICAP because mm-hmm. they took uh, uh, technologically and scientifically oriented people as their investigators. I
2: see.
3: And uh, I by that time I had become a professional social caseworker, and uh, I had uh, I had the, the the skills. They were skills of interviewing,
4: mm-hmm.
3: of objective value judging, uh, you know, of facts given to you and also the art of, of um, writing accurate records. And so these three skills fit right in with the investigation of UFOs.
2: They certainly do. Um, do you see a big difference between the way that UFOs are researched and investigated today compared to how they were when ufology was still young?
3: Uh, yes, yes, I do. Um, of course, there are many uh, ex- excellent, excellent scientific and scientifically oriented investigators mm-hmm. in the field. but but there are also a lot of uh, people who call themselves researchers and investigators, and they will receive cases from the public of what the public you know this public person saw in the sky and it's presented almost immediately on the internet now as a report and there, a lot of these so-called reports are not investigated at all, you see, at least to any depth so that they, they know that it's a truly unidentified object which you can call a UFO. Uh, we we um, uh, NICAP in 1965 we formed a um, Public reporting system and filter center called Skynet. You see? Mm-hmm. Yes, and there were uh, up to a hundred people around the Southern California area on a map, and we knew all where they lived and when they were available. and the um, I was getting uh, reports from the public from the Griffith Observatory and from one or two of the uh, of the major police stations in the area and from two or three of the major newspapers, all of these wonderful sources that were receiving reports from the public. You know, they, they, the public didn't know who, where to call. When yes. they saw something, they, they'd say, I see a UFO, you know, so they, they were referred to, uh, to to me at Skynet. I was the project coordinator. And then, uh, then I, I would figure out where this person was, and call the Skynet member closest to where they were seeing the object in the hopes that the Skynet member could go out and also see it and identify it. And uh, this way we were able to identify about 80% of the reports that came into us as UFOs because we had you know, a skilled person close by looking at the same thing and, and figuring out what it, what it was.
2: Now, when you say UFO, are you talking about extraterrestrial entity, or is just something that was unidentified?
3: Well, when I say UFO, uh, my mind tells me uh, unidentified flying object. Mm -hmm. But my own uh, uh, favorite hypothesis is that the physical craft, the unidentifiable physical craft that fly through our atmosphere and, and chase our military planes and sometimes land and come very close to witnesses, that that they are very possibly uh, extraterrestrial in nature.
2: Do you think that these ETs uh, pose a a threat to this planet?
3: I have never felt from any of the 2,000 and more uh, reports that I've investigated that there was any threat, no.
2: Andruffle is our special guest, and please stand by. Great having you on the show again. Thanks. Ann Druffle's website is www.anndruffle.com. That's A-N-N-D-R-U-F-F-E-L.com. And Ann and I will be back on the other side of this news break as the Exxon continues on Talkstar. In the final hour of tonight's show, yes, it is Tuesday night, and yes, that does mean... X-1, we are going back to 1957, episode number 83, entitled, The Moon is Green. That's in the next hour, here on the X-Zone, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.
4: Life is busy enough without running around town to find a sale. If you pride yourself on being a smart shopper, you should know about a place that has raised a bar on smart shopping by cutting out the middleman. Direct Buy sells virtually anything for the home or office at manufacturer direct prices. Whether you're updating your current home or building a new one, DirectBuy can save you the thousands of dollars that traditional retailers use to pad their prices. Buy direct from over 700 top manufacturers at 30 40 even 50% off the best retail price on almost everything you need. Whatever it is you're shopping for, appliances, cabinets, flooring, windows, and more, every time you buy, you're going to get the best quality at the best price with Direct Buy. But you have to become a member. To get a visitor's pass to a local showroom and a free insider's guide to buying direct, call 800-593-2124 today. Again, that's 800-593-2124. 800-593-2124. Call now.
2: Douglas James Cottrell, who has been called Canada's Edgar Cayce, has just made available his latest CD, Douglas Cottrell, 2012 Earth Changes, the first CD in the 2012 Prophecy Series. This session features information gathered from the Akashic Records in a deep trance meditation session by Douglas James Cottrell in March of 2009. In this session, Douglas explains changes that have taken place in the Earth's core, changes to the Earth's poles, and the real reason why the polar caps. Are melting. Douglas also elaborates on increased volcanic and earthquake activity between now and 2012, including what, where, and when. To order your copy of Douglas Cottrell 2012 Earth Changes, visit his website at douglasjamescottrell.com or call toll free 877 C
4: O T T R E L.
6: You're listening to Rob McConnell
2: in the X-Zone on the Talkstar Radio Network. Visit us online at www.xzoneradio.com.
3: My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario...
2: Let's <laughs> go. Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and our fine family of broadcast affiliates across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, 24 Asian countries, and across Europe. And Druffle is my special guest. We're talking about UFOs. And if you'd like to give us a call and ask Ann a question, our toll- free number is one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five that's toll free at one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five Anne, how would you investigate a uFO sighting, and what would be the proper procedure for people who are just getting into the field today? um that they should follow when investigating or researching an alleged UFO landing
3: Well first of all I I believe that an investigator or a researcher has to be scientifically oriented mm-hmm. uh, in other words uh, some some type of uh, well technical some sort of technical or interviewing ability uh, th- that is beyond just a plain uh, talking to people. Uh, the ability to judge what a person is saying as to whether or not uh, it, you know, it might be acceptable. Um, it's um, uh, a kind that you, uh, you need to have a, a personality that is, that is uh, friendly and kind and uh, appears accepting of what they are saying. Uh, there can't be any confrontation with them, of course. Mm-hmm. Everybody would know that. Uh, this, um, but uh, most important is the scientifically objective attitude that uh, a, an investigator must have. They, they can't believe in their head, you know, that, that uh, UFOs uh, uh, exist and everyone who sees something strange in the sky is seeing a UFO. Uh, they, you have to be aware of of all of the dozens and dozens of things that are, have been mistaken in the past and are still being mistaken now as UFOs because they are not known to the, to the person who is, who is seeing the thing and not recognizing what it is. So. Um,
2: and this, it, could, uh, this could include uh, some very strange cloud formations. It could include yes. anything from a weather balloon to an experimental type of craft.
3: Uh exactly yeah. uh, exactly and uh, in this area especially and, and uh, southern california you know what southern california is like but it might be other places around the world uh, they have what are called candle balloons at least yes. they did, uh, did years ago uh they would fill a um a, a um a plastic bag you know that had covered um uh garments that had been dry cleaned uh, they they would fill it with hot air and then at the at the bottom they would arrange a little uh wooden um a wooden uh, circle uh and and put candles on it and then they would insert that or they would insert the um uh the uh, plastic bag over the the candles which were already uh, lit and this is the way the bag would fill with air and then they would they would let it up into the air And uh, sometimes uh, they were generally set off at night, sometimes two, three, four, five at a time. And uh, these were mistaken time and time again, hundreds of times by witnesses as UFOs. But we learned to identify them by the fact that they traveled with the wind Mm -hmm. or or that they, um, you know, the, the, the way they bounced in the air. Uh, or uh, through skynet of course if you could get someone close enough to where the witness was seeing this strange thing in the sky the witness could go out and identify it as a candle balloon because they they might be closer to the object than the original witness
2: Interesting what, what was one of the what was one of your most profound re- investigations or research that you did as an investigator in
3: Would you, how would you choose <laughs> uh, of course uh, the heflin photos which are still being investigated was one of the uh, the main photo cases that was uh, taken on by nicap in 1965 and uh, it uh, I, I don't know if you're uh, if you're aware or if your listeners are aware of the heflin photos
2: so why don't we tell but,
3: them uh, they they were uh, photographed by a highway engineer, in uh, uh, on the edge of Santa Ana, California. Uh, he was uh, a highway uh, maintenance engineer with the uh, San, Santa, Santa Ana Traffic Department, and he had, of course, uh, his part of his job was to identify uh, things uh, along the highways that would um, uh, impede traffic. Or make traffic um, uh, difficult or dangerous. And uh, so uh, one day, uh, August 3rd, 1965, he was traveling uh, about one and a half miles south of the uh, freeway that goes through Santa Ana, and uh, he saw this thing uh, go over his truck. And and, uh, of course, he had the camera right by his seat, you know, because he had stopped to photograph a a, um it was a, it was a sign, a highway sign, which was being obscured uh, by vegetation so that the people traveling on the uh, on this road could not read what the sign said. it was a warning about you know a slowdown or something right. like that. so he, he stopped to to photograph that so that he could report it to to his um, to his office mm-hmm. and uh, at the same time he stopped. Uh, a thing threw over from the south over his truck, and uh, he was amazed because it was an unidentified physical aircraft <laughs> you know it was it's a, 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 a sort of an unidentifiable physical aircraft of some kind, and so he snatched up the camera and took a picture mm-hmm. and and then it moved farther along oh yes then it, then it, then it turned on its side and he could see on the bottom. That there was a a ring of light going around the bottom, and uh, he, he took a picture of that, and then it straightened again and went off and in, further into the distance, and he took a picture of that, and by that time, uh, the um, the the third the third picture we later discovered showed smoke coming out of the of the craft, you see. And then the thing uh, went, uh, disappeared into the distance.
2: Now, smoke and, coming out uh, of a cr- But le-
3: it left behind a ring of bluish-black smoke in the sky, which was very strange because yeah. it was cohesive. It did not, uh, you know, dissipate with the winds that, that were blowing. And so he went and took a fourth picture. He traveled up a, a, a mile in his truck, uh, got out of the car, and took a picture of the of the smoke ring in the sky. And uh, so those were the Heflin photos, and to this day they are still being studied avidly by scientists. Is,
2: isn't it very rare that a UFO expels smoke? And
3: okay. uh, it, it's been known before that there are two or three other photos of um, uh, you know from from around the world where there is either a smoke ring around an object hmm. of basically the same. Shape as the Heflin uh, craft or, uh, or you know th- that, that uh, it's, uh, it's apparent that, that uh, such a craft has has uh, left a smoke ring in the sky, but these have not been investigated thoroughly uh, as far as I know, like the Heflin photos, and uh, so uh, it, uh, they are considered now to be probably the most valuable UFO set of UFO photos. That have ever been taken.
2: And how about alien abductions? Uh, have you investigated abduction cases? And if so, how did you investigate them?
3: Well, in 1973, uh, the, the UFO field uh, suddenly seemed to just flip and change. Mm-hmm. And instead of the the objects being seen in the sky or photographed in the sky, we were getting numerous reports. Of uh, from uh, basically rational, rational and uh, witnesses that you know rational, productive, uh, honest witnesses that uh, they were being taken out of their beds at night and into what they perceived to be the interior of a UFO, and sometimes you know they they would see a light uh, shining through their window. But but there was never the 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 physical craft that, that they saw themselves going toward. At least th- those cases are very very rare. It, it was mostly just that that uh, suddenly they found themselves uh, aboard uh, what they perceived to be the interior of a UFO, with these strange little creatures uh, harassing them and then examining them and and. Um, you know, uh, the cases just uh, proliferated to such a degree that we were overwhelmed here with the so-called abduction cases instead of the the regular cases that we were used to since 1957.
2: Do you have a hypothesis on why this happened?
3: uh, At first, uh, I accepted the abduction reports as uh, uh, possibly a... UFO entities coming from physical craft mm-hmm. and and taking uh, witnesses aboard to harass and you know sexually harass them. Um, uh, I, I accepted it because that, that was a general feeling in the field because of the, the rationality and honesty of the wi- of most of the witnesses you see right but, but then uh, um, there was a um, it began to be we began to wonder, uh, why uh, the great majority of these cases, about 99 and 99%, you know, 9% um, of the cases in this, in this area were the, the, the person uh, suddenly awoke in their bed, uh, found, found the creatures standing near them, and then zipped they were up into mm-hmm. a so-called craft. We wondered why it would have to happen like that and then this uh the hypothesis that that these things occurred in an altered state of consciousness emerged in the field which to me sound uh sounded very you know very good very scientifically oriented that it was that these uh these events took place in an altered state of consciousness because it was um the witnesses themselves felt that they were fully awake, but there was never any physical proof uh, of the object uh, being physical. There was just the uh, the story, you see, and the fact that the person awoke up from a state, uh, from a sleeping state, into another state that they perceived to be a true waking consciousness. But which could well be what we call an altered state of consciousness,
2: now, would this be sleep paralysis? uh
3: no, it would be different from sleep paralysis uh, the The particular altered state of consciousness to to my knowledge has not yet been identified, uh, but it's uh, very close to the state of consciousness into which uh shamans you mm-hmm. know in indigenous peoples enter. Uh, when they uh, want to go into a spiritual dimension. And uh, a lot of these shamans, uh, they they are caught in between the the space-time continuum we live in and the spiritual dimension they're headed in into a state of consciousness called the realm of the trickster, you see. And uh, this is where information that they later find out is faulty is given to them. But uh, some of them, uh, you know, uh, think that, that it's from the spiritual dimension instead of from a state of consciousness in which faulty information is being given to them. And I, then, I hope I'm making sense.
2: Yes, you did. Yes, yes. you did. So basically, they're, uh, they're going into a having a spiritual encounter rather than uh, uh, an alien abduction encounter.
3: Uh, well, when I say spiritual, uh, I mean a good, yes. a, a good spiritual um, encounter. Uh, but the the realm of the trickster, so to speak, or the or this uh, state of consciousness in which faulty information can be given by a, a phenomenon that the. Uh, the, the Irish call them a, a fairy folk. Yes. The, the uh, Muslims call them jinns. Uh, they're called by different names in every culture, major and minor, in the entire world down through the millennia. So so these uh, encounters with strange inter, interdimensional creatures uh, giving faulty information and, uh, and harassment... Uh, generally sexual harassment.
2: And we've got to take a break. We'll be back on the other side with Ann Gruffle.
4: Do you owe the IRS $15,000 or more? Are you worried about wage garnishments, bank levies, and IRS seizures? American Tax Relief has helped thousands of honest, hardworking Americans settle their tax debt for less than they owe. If you qualify, we can settle your tax debt for less, stop garnishments and levies, as well as remove penalties and interest. Our staff of tax professionals will work hard to get you the best possible settlement you qualify for. Having the right experienced and knowledgeable professionals. on your side can save you money, as well as time and stress. American Tax Relief can help you get the fresh start you're looking for. So call for a free, no-obligation consultation.
1: Call for a free, no-obligation consultation at 800-515-7457 and get the relief and peace of mind you deserve. That's 800-515-7457. Do it now. Call American Tax Relief at 800-515-7457. That's 800-515-7457. Are you
2: getting tired of all the bad news? Well, then take a break from the worries of the world and play the love game. It's time to focus on what is really important in our lives, our relationships. You deserve more love, happiness, and harmony in your life. Synchro Hearts is the new hot relationship game that guarantees more love, laughter and romance for you and your partner. It's not a sex game, it's a love game based on all the important relationship stuff like better communication, more intimacy and lots of fun and excitement. Great intimacy is just one of the benefits of playing Synchro Hearts. Now President Obama inspires hope, love and peace for the world. Synchro Hearts offers more hope, love and harmony for relationships. To order your very own edition of Synchro Hearts, visit Synchro Hearts' website now at www.synchrohearts.com. That's www.synchrohearts.com. Synchro Hearts. It's the game you love to play
4: and play to love. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend...
2: Lost that love before.
4: Somewhere down the road, maybe all those years will find
2: some meaning. I just can't think about
4: them now
2: or live them out anymore. Andruffles are a very special guest this hour. www.dot.andruffle.dot.com. And how many different um, alien visitors are we getting on this planet? Any idea?
3: Well, you see, uh, to me, uh, the uh, w- the uh, the uh, physical UFOs that are seen in the sky mm-hmm. and chased by jet planes. Uh, these might contain entities from, from extraterrestrial sources, uh, but uh, we, uh, as far as I know, we don't know anything about about them. Except to my mind, uh, they are not friendly. They are not unfriendly. They are simply surveying our Earth to see what we're going to do with it. You know, <laughs> whether we're going to blow it up or anything like that. Mm. Um, the um, the the other researchers say that there are up to uh, 70 different types of uh, entities, but these, these are generally the researchers that believe that the, um, that the so-called abductors are physical uh, in themselves and are from the physical UFOs. Uh, this is a, this is a, a scenario that uh, I, I do not accept. Uh, I, I have uh, a, a separate phenomenon, I mean a separate scenario. That uh, the uh, so-called abductions, which occur in altered states, are a separate phenomenon from the UFO field itself. Uh, it's something that's happened uh, to uh, cultures around the world for millennia. Uh, they're uh, they're basically all the same, except that they they uh, have the ability to shape shift and take different shapes and where. Different kinds of clothing, uh, according to the culture in which they appear, you see, and the harassment that they that they uh, impose upon their victims uh, differs according to the culture. What the culture can can accept, you see. I see. Uh, I I mean, like in like in Ireland, you uh-huh. know, uh, leprechauns. Well, no, uh, uh-huh. you see, these these creatures are both good and bad. They're an internet dimensional type of creature, and they're, they're both good and bad. And it's the bad type uh, of, of this interdimensional type of creation uh, that, that uh, causes the so called abductions. But of course, a leprechaun is, uh, is uh, basically a good fairy, like a brownie. Oh,
4: right. Uh,
3: but the, there are other types of so called fairy folk that the Irish have reported for centuries that, uh, that uh, uh, do a certain uh, sexual harassment, but it's uh, a milder type than, than what goes on in our country or, or in Muslim countries, you see.
2: And we have to say so long for now, but it's been a great hour having you with us here on the Exome. Thanks very much for sharing your knowledge, your experience, and your expertise with us here on the Exome.
3: You're very welcome. Thank you.
2: Take care of yourself, Anne. You too. Bye-bye, dear. Ann Bye. Druffel, Com, one of the most experienced uh, UFO researchers and investigators that we've had here on the show with over 2,000 cases to her credit. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break and the news at six and a half minutes past with X minus one. The moon is green from 1957. It is episode number 83. We'll be back on the other side as we continue live and around the world right here
4: in the X zone on Talkstar.